It is Thursday, July 22nd here at Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schauff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. This is episode six of our divisional preview series. We hit the NFC North last week, starting with why you should not totally trust Matt Nagy's words about his quarterback situation. Today, it's time to jump back to the AFC. We are going the nor- to the North there as well. And Jared, let's just jump right in with the Baltimore Ravens here. Relevant coaching changes There is nothing. John Harbaugh heads into his 14th season leading the Ravens, coming off three straight years of 10-plus wins. The offense remains under the control of coordinator Greg Roman for the third consecutive season. Roman's past four offenses have ranked top two in rushing attempts and first in the league in rushing yards. That includes two years as the Buffalo offensive coordinator before his time in Baltimore. None of Greg Roman's eight offenses as a coordinator in the NFL has ranked higher in the league than 29th in pass attempts. So we know he likes to run the ball. His two Ravens units so far have checked in 27th and and 32nd in passing yards, but first and 13th in passing touchdowns the past two years, first and seventh in total points. So the Ravens can move the ball and score. Yeah. I mean, this offense was disappointing last year, you know, at least compared to expectations, they're coming off the, the huge 2019. They dropped from uh, second in total yards in 2019 to 19th last year. They went from first to seventh in points. You know, they, they had some COVID issues we can get into, you know, their, their quarterback, their tight end missing some time. Um, and probably just some natural regression coming off that massive 2019 season. But I think it's a unit capable of, of bouncing back this year. And as we've been talking about, you know, the, the, main takeaway here is just how run heavy an offense it has been. And, you know, whether we expect that to continue, you know, how, how, how much more might they lean on the pass this year? I think, I think that's one of the big questions in Baltimore. Yeah. And we'll certainly get more into that. They ranked seventh in points last year versus 19th in total yards. So I I would expect some rebound on the yardage side, but I think that split, that gap between those two still leaves some potential room for scoring regression, you know, in terms of, uh, touchdowns relative to yards. That said, it's probably going to remain an efficient offense for scoring, for moving the ball in general. Um, of the eight Greg Roman offenses that I alluded to before, six of those have ranked higher in scoring than they have in yardage uh, over his time as an offensive coordinator. Only one has checked in lower in points than it ranked in yardage, and four of his offenses have ranked six-plus spots higher in scoring than in yardage. That doesn't even include the 2019 Ravens because they were second in total yards, so they couldn't have ranked six spots (laughs) higher in scoring. They did lead the league that year. So Greg Roman's offenses have done a better job of scoring than they have of moving the ball, of course. We we want points most of all. Yeah, and I would expect that to continue again, you know, for them to rank higher in points than yards this year. Um, Run run pass split. Where where are you at? Because they, you know, they've been basically exactly 44% the past two years, you know, with Lamar Jackson. I bumped them up to 45 and a half percent pass this year, which, you know, is still super low, slightly up, you know, just adding another first round wide receiver in Rashad Bateman to go along with Marquise Brown. But, you know, I I just still think, you know, this, the the running game is what makes this offense go. So I don't think they're going to go too far away from that. Yeah, I mean, this this is a Middle Ages offense, like Middle Ages of the NFL, you know, talking like 70s, 80s. That's how they're handling their run-pass split. As you mentioned, two straight years of 44%. Those are Lamar Jackson's two starting seasons. They say they want to build the passing game. They say they want to throw the ball more. Their moves this offseason back that up. They signed Sammy Watkins after flirting with T.Y. Hilton and Juju Smith-Schuster in free agency. They drafted Rashad Bateman. They drafted Tylen Wallace. Um, Roman says that he believes the Ravens have the infrastructure in place to improve as a passing offense. And he says, quote, they are there. There are definitely some things that we're doing right now to evolve. And there are definitely some things people are going to see from us that they haven't seen before. So I buy this team passing more. That said, when you're starting from 44% pass, there's really nowhere to go, but up because the odds have them going beyond that. I projected them at 48% pass. Yeah. 48% pass, 52% run. You know, that would still be league leading run heaviness in most seasons. I I wouldn't be shocked if they even went further than that, you know, 50, 50, 52% pass. That would be a huge jump for them without being a, you know, pass leaning offense versus what the rest of the league does. Yeah, the Ravens last year averaged as a team 7.2 yards per pass attempt, 5.5 
yards per carry. I mean, that, you know, that, that's about as small of a gap between, you know, passing and rushing as you'll get. And again, th- this running game is just so good. The passing game, I expect it to be better this year, but I just, you know, I, I just think it, it's, it's still the best running game in the NFL when you factor in, you know, what they have in the backfield and, uh, you know, obviously Lamar Jackson's rushing ability. Right. And the way that he plays in the pocket, scrambling away from pressure is going to drive up that um, run pass split as well. So let's move on to the QB notes. We knew Lamar Jackson was in for some statistical regression last year. He didn't fall as far as it might seem, though. If you drafted him last season, you probably took him as the first quarterback, at worst, the second quarterback off the board. So he disappointed versus that. But Jackson still posted the third most rushing yards ever for a quarterback, trailing only his previous season and Michael Vick's 2006. He's still ranked fourth in the league in passing touchdown rate, 6.9% down from 9% the year before. We knew he wasn't going to go to 9% again. 6.9 is still a terrific number. So we'll see if there's more regression from there or if he's going to settle into this higher than normal uh, touchdown rate kind of player. Fell to 10th among quarterbacks in fantasy points and fantasy points per games, but also finished the season strong. So he, he was, he put in his best games later in the year. Yeah. And I, as I alluded to before, you know, uh, Lamar missed one game with COVID and who knows how much that impacted him when he returned, Mark Andrews missed two games with COVID. So this, this was one of the offenses I think that was most impacted by COVID last season. As you said, Lamar Jackson finished quarterback 10 last year. He also scored the 44th most fantasy points by a quarterback all time. So that just tells you, you know, how, crazy quarterback scoring was last year. If Jackson stays where he is and the rest of the pack just comes back a little bit, you know, he could score the same amount of fantasy points and still finish as a top five quarterback this season. I, I still think it's in his range to lead the position in fantasy scoring this year. You know, if he runs for a thousand yards again and just, you know, improves as a passer with the weapons they added. Um, so, you know, J- Jackson is one of like five or six guys who, you know, could, could lead quarterbacks in fantasy points. Yeah, I agree with that. At the same time though, last year, he wasn't even that, like weekly top shelf guy that he was for us in 2019. He he did tie for third among multi-game starters at the position in rate of producing top 12 fantasy weeks among quarterbacks last year, looking back at my QB scoring review article. But he fell behind the other top guys in delivering those true top shelf games. Just one game of 35 plus fantasy points, for example. Meanwhile, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Kyler Murray, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson all put up four plus games in that scoring range. Dak Prescott put up three of them in just four full outings. So uh, Lamar Jackson was down overall. He was also down from that top shelf scoring. The ADP has been kind of up and down for a little while. He was hanging back. Um, Then he climbed up on underdog right now. He's third among quarterbacks, just three picks in overall ADP behind Josh Allen, who is 14 picks behind Patrick Mahomes. So, I mean, basically tied for Josh Allen at second quarterback off the board there. Yeah, and I honestly don't have a strong lean between like Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, um, who my uh, Josh Allen, like, you know, those, those four guys behind Mahomes. So for me in drafts, like if one of those guys drops, you know, a round or two below the rest of them, I'll, I'll, I'll pounce on them. And, you know, that, that, that is Jackson in some drafts and you'll see him go, go quarterback five, quarterback six in some of these drafts. Yeah, I agree with that. It seems to be a little bit less so Jackson lately, but I think he belongs in that top six, top seven, wherever exactly your cutoff is. And then who kind of whoever lasts or if like you get to, you know, maybe the six, seven turn and you're a pick away from the turn, you see a stacking possibility, which could be Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews in that yeah. range that can push me towards somebody like Lamar Jackson. I think that's probably and now that we're in best ball league still, you know, when we get into lineup setting, it's different, but in basketball, when I'm looking to stack that sometimes pushes me away from Lamar Jackson, just cause I think he among all these guys is, you know, the guy I'm least likely to stack just because I don't love Andrews at ADP. I don't love Marquise Brown at ADP. You know, Lamar obviously gets so much of his fantasy production via his legs. Um, I think that hurts him a bit in best ball, but when we get into lineup setting leagues and we're not so concerned about stacking, I think, you know, you can, you can bump Jackson up a few spots. Yeah, it's certainly not a stack that I'm chasing, but it's one that I've added a couple of times. Uh, Running back notes, J.K. Dobbins opened drafting season going in round two, which was, at that point, it was an even easier fade for me than DeAndre Swift. He's down, um, but I'm not sure it's been enough for me. What do you think about J.K. Dobbins? So definitely a guy who, you know, has more value in non-PPR and even half PPR. So like on underdog, um, you know, he, he's getting into the fourth round sometimes now. And I, I, I've taken him there. I think, you know, that that's a good spot in, in the half PPR scoring on underdog. Um, 
So you know, Dobbins was obviously awesome last year. Six yards per carry. Uh, he was ninth in elusive rating, 11th in PFF rushing grade among 47 running backs with 100 carries. I, th- I think he's a big talent in a great running game. The question is volume for him. Um, you know, e- even in those final 11 games when Mark Ingram was phased out, Dobbins averaged 11.6 carries per game. You know, 28 running backs averaged more than that last season. He only averaged 1.5 targets per game over those final 11. That would have been, you know, outside the top 70 running backs. I think he'll get a bit more volume this year. But I mean, I mean, Gus Edwards is not going away. He's good. The Ravens like him. The Ravens just gave him a pretty hefty contract. So I, I, I just think this is going to be a two-back system, and Edwards is going to do do more, be more involved than I think a lot of people think or, or think he's going to be or, or want him to be. Yeah, I mean, it's good. I think the drafters have realized that Dobbins did not belong in round two. Round three still doesn't excite me in general. I have also taken a few shares on underdog when he gets to the end of round three or even into round four. Last year, even when he got more involved, as you were mentioning, he wasn't even leading Gus Edwards in receiving. He saw 10 total targets in the nine games following the Ravens bye last year. That includes the playoffs. 10 total targets in those nine games that matched Gus Edwards. Saw less than uh, 40% of the team carries in that range. Really, the receiving is what makes J.K. Dobbins not look great to me and, and really kills his ceiling in the range comparing with other guys that are going in that same area. The Ravens did improve from the third lowest running back target share in 2019 to eighth lowest in the league last year. But when you combine even that with their overall volume ceiling, it's just, I don't know how much higher their ceiling can go in that case. And I don't know how many targets that actually means for Dobbins because the eighth lowest target share for running backs in the Ravens offense could be the same as the second lowest in most other offenses. So he just, he doesn't have the receiving upside that I think he needs to be a truly smash potential player in the range where he's going, even at the, the lower cost. And it's never going to be a favorable spot for running back checkdowns. Yeah, I, I agree. And there, there, there was talk this spring that, you know, Baltimore is looking to get Dobbins involved more in the passing game this season. I, I kind of don't buy it. I just, you know, as you've been talking about, I just don't think the numbers work out when you talk about the low volume passing game here. We know, we know running quarterbacks like Lamar Jackson check down less than, you know, pocket passers. Baltimore has a pretty nice trio of wide receivers now. Mark Andrews is still there. Gus Edwards is going to be involved in the passing game. So it's it's just you know tough to see where Dobbins is going to get you know much more than like 30, 35 targets this season. Yeah, it's also why projections are important because I'm sure that they want to get him more involved in the passing game, but he was averaging 1.1 target per game over the second half of last season. So he could double that and still not be an attractive receiving back. Exactly. Pass catcher notes. I mean, you hit Gus Edwards, but I, I don't think there's a whole lot more. He's he's more involved than we would like to see a second running back be, unless we're looking for a running back in that range. I'm, I'm much more interested in Gus Edwards on a best ball roster than I am in in-season management. But, you know, there he's at least got Latavius Murray upside. Yeah, I mean, I think Murray's a good comp because in lineup setting leagues, I'm not sure you're ever going to feel great starting Gus Edwards without an injury to Dobbins. He's an awesome handcuff because if Dobbins goes down, then you're talking about, you know, borderline RB1 probably. Um, But yeah, I mean, basketball, he's going to throw in some of those starter weeks just when he happens to pop in the touchdown. Yeah, and for what it's worth, I think Edwards does have more standalone value than Murray because his Mm -hmm. role is larger than, well, at least last year, was larger than Murray's relative to the starter. And, you know, we talk about the low passing volume, the high rushing volume brings up what that share of the, the workload is worth here. Yep. Pass catcher notes, Marquise Brown actually kind of quietly had a nice second season, 24.6% target share, only four wideouts in the league beat that share, 14.4% touchdown rate, that's well above league average for the position, lined up in the slot less, his average depth of target got a little deeper, really, Marquise Brown profiles like an upward trending receiver and was a former first round pick, so there should be plenty to like about him, but... The problem, of course, is that Rashad Bateman arrived in the first round of this year's draft. Exactly. I mean, you you mentioned the 24.6% target share. That's a great number. It doesn't matter that much in Baltimore. I mean, that, that led to 100 targets for Marquise Brown. That was just 35th among wide receivers. And really, I, I struggle to see him beating that, probably even getting there this season, you know, with Bateman in town now. And again, you know, with Mark Andrews probably healthier after missing those two games last season. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's just tough to find the volume to really like Marquise Brown. 
you have to figure, even if you think Marquise Brown is the number one receiver still this year, Rashad Bateman is at least a big challenger to that. And the overall target volume pie is not huge. I don't think we can overlook Sammy Watkins arriving either. He's let us down the past couple of years in Kansas City because, you know, we keep hoping that maybe the old Sammy Watkins shows up. Part of that is certainly him losing a step. Another part of that was Kansas City using him as a slot type receiver, significantly shortening his average depth of target versus what he did with both the Rams and the Bills. So maybe the Ravens look to lengthen that, maybe to try to turn him back into something like the Sammy Watkins we saw from the previous two teams. Even if it's not high target volume, it's probably a better receiver than Miles Boykin at this point. So it's just another challenger to that volume. Yeah, I mean, Sammy Watkins is still just 28 years old. You know, it feels like he's been in the NFL for 10 years now, but he's still just 28. He got a he got a one-year, fully guaranteed $5 million deal. So not like huge money, but enough money where like I think you know he's gonna be a part of that offense. Like you said, I mean, I, I don't think Watkins is gonna be a real fantasy factor, especially in lineup setting leagues, but he's just another, you know, kind of obstacle in the way for Marquise Brown or Rashad Babin to, you know, get enough volume to be someone that you know we can really count on on a weekly basis. And I do think he's a mark in favor of Lamar Jackson's upside this year, because even if he's still less than he ever was um, before his Kansas City stop, there's some of that downfield potential to him. And he's better than what has been there. Yep, for sure. Mark Andrews, of course, we've talked about. It felt like a letdown year for him last year as well. He missed those two games when he was healthy, lost 1.7 PPR points per game off his 2019 average. We knew the touchdown rate was coming down. That did happen, but it was still high at 12%. Um, maybe that means that there's still room for regression in that area this season. But Mm -hmm. also, as I said, maybe it's just an efficient offense and it stays that way and he still scores at a higher rate. He did still see the third largest target share among all tight ends, despite losing those two games to COVID. Yeah, still finished tight end four in PPR points per game. As you said, you know, the tight the touchdowns were the biggest difference. His volume was almost the same as 2019. He went from six and a half targets per game to 6.3. His target share actually climbed from 23.4 to 23.7. Um, you know, he was still awesome in yards per route run and PFF receiving grade. He was top five among tight ends in both of those metrics. So, um, and, and he's, you know, quite a bit cheaper this season. So I, I think Andrews is, is a fine value where he's going in drafts right now. Yeah, and finished among top six tight ends for the second straight year. I haven't been in love with him where he is because I feel better about TJ Hawkinson in PPR. I think he is a better bet for target total and target consistency. And then I just don't see a huge gap between Andrews and Noah Fant and Tyler Higby. But I'm, I don't know, at this point, I'm kind of reaching a point where I'm wondering if maybe I'm underrating Mark Andrews a little bit just because he's a surer bet, I think, after the past two years to not let me down than Noah Fant or Tyler Higby. Yeah, so I think we both we, we both have him tight end six, right? I mean, he's your tight end six. I yeah, think so. I, I've kind of waffled on that a little bit. Yeah, see, see like I, I have him tight end six, but I have him much closer to the Hawkinson Pitts tier than the you know Goddard Fant Higby tier behind him. Yeah, I think it's Hawkinson, and then I have Pitts, Andrews, Noah Fant all together right there. Got it. Who do you like among Ravens? Um. Andrews and Lamar Jackson, like I'm, I'm cool with where they're going. Like, I'll, I'll take them if you know that's the position I'm looking for, and they're available at ADP. Gus Edwards, I think, is okay if we're talking best ball. You know, he's RB 38, late ninth round. I think that's a decent spot for him. Um, so those are the guys I'm targeting. It's you know, it's the wide receivers, um, and they're and they're they're cheap enough. You know, Marquise Brown is what, wide receiver 48 in ADP, or Rashad Bateman's wide receiver 58 in ADP. So I, I can't hate on those guys. Um, they they just haven't quite been targets for me yet. I'm not chasing anybody here. There's no Raven that I love in drafts. It's been Rashad Bateman as my favorite lately, though. You mentioned he's in the mid-50s among wide receivers, and I I think it's an appropriate price for him, but I think that he's the one guy who could have, you know, more ceiling potential than than, than we can reasonably project right now. If he becomes their number one wide receiver ahead of Marquise Brown right away, if the Ravens do make a significant jump in passing volume. And again, a significant jump for them can be to 52 or 53% pass. That would be a large jump in volume from last year. If both of those things happen and Bateman proves efficient, you know, in catch rate, yards per catch, uh, touchdown opportunities. Oh, I think ultimately the ceiling on him is more attractive versus his price than it is for anybody else in Baltimore. Yeah, again, wide receiver 58 is a pretty low bar to clear. I mean, he, he was a, a first-round pick. There's a chance he leads 
the wide receivers and targets this season. I still think you're kind of banking on efficiency for him to, you know, really pay off at that price. Like I don't think he's going to, you know, crush it volume wise, but again, we talked about this, this passing game can be super efficient. I think Bateman's a good player. So he definitely could win on efficiency this season. Yeah. And he's certainly not an every draft player for me, but he's in a range where if if I'm thinking about who has the highest ceiling, if everything breaks right for him, uh, he's the guy that catches my attention. Marquise Brown, I've told myself that maybe I should like him more, you know, in case he keeps the job and even builds on what he's done over the previous two seasons. The problem with him versus Bateman for me is that there are more attractive options around Marquise Brown than there are around Bateman. Uh, On underdog, for example, in ADP, we've got Brandon Cooks, Jarvis Landry, Michael Pittman right behind Marquise Brown, Antonio Brown, Curtis Samuel just ahead of him. I mean, at least several of those guys have been more attractive to be than Marquise Brown. Yeah, same here. I haven't haven't gotten to Marquise Brown yeah, and really, I mean, basketball, I think, is the time to be drafting him. I think he's going to be more valuable there just with that big playability. So um, he'll probably drop even a bit further for me when we get to lineup setting leagues. Who do you specifically dislike among Ravens? Just J.K. Dobbins at, you know, the ADP. We have him, at, you know, we have him going early third round. I think that's FFPC I pulled um, as RB15. You know, that's about a round in like five running back spots too early for me just – um, really with the lack of volume, especially in the passing game, but even in the running game, like, you know, he, he's just not going to have 20 carry games because of Gus Edwards and Lamar Jackson taking so many carries. Yeah. I, I mean, I like him as a player, obviously if it's a good place to be part of the running game, but I just don't see the ultimate ceiling on him to make me regret passing on him in round three. Again, I've got some cursory shares when he gets to the three, four turn, but beyond that, he's definitely not a target for me. Cincinnati Bengals, anything relevant on the coaching front? No, it's uh, head coach Zach Taylor and offensive coordinator Brian Callahan back for their third season in Cincinnati. It, it has not been pretty so far for, for you know those two guys in the Bengals over the past two seasons. They've finished 26th and 29th in total yards. They've been 30th and 29th in points scored. They've been 29th both both seasons in football outsiders DVOA. You know, they, they did deal with bad quarterback play in their first season in 2019 and then bad quarterback play over the second half of last season without Joe Burrow. So some excuses there, but um, definitely a staff that has a lot to prove still. Yeah. The Bengals went from 21st in offensive DVOA in 2018, the year before Taylor arrived to 29th in that category, each of the past two years, Zach Taylor only had a part season of coordinator experience before that in 2015 with the dolphins, that team also dipped to 23rd in DVOA from seventh year before you know, I don't want to get into the details of what might have made that offense change. The the little bit of record that we have on Zach Taylor, he's certainly not we, – we certainly can't count him as a positive for anybody on offense. He might be a negative at the very least. He's certainly not a factor in going after any um, Bengals players here. Brian Callahan also had uh, no other co- coordinator experience before landing with the Bengals. He was a QB's coach for the Raiders and two years with the Lions before that. The Raiders got worse in offensive DVOA from the year before he was there to the year that he was there. Obviously, the quarterback's coach. Don't know how much impact he has, but all I'm saying is combined, these guys don't give you the warm fuzzies about their effect on the offense. Yeah, you're you're definitely hoping the offensive talent here elevates the the coaching staff and not vice versa. Um, I, I I will say there are some reasons for optimism from what we saw with the Bengals last year when Joe Burrow was healthy. You know, in Burrow's nine games, they, they did score more points, they did average more yards per game. Still, that you know the points scored would have ranked 24th on the season. The yards yards per game would have ranked 20th. So you know, still a bottom half offense. I think the the things to like. They averaged 73 plays per game in those nine games with Burrow. They were playing at a fast pace. That 73 plays per game would have would have led the league by a significant margin. Um, they were fourth in situation neutral pass rate over that span. They were third in just pass rate altogether. Um, so you know it was a fast paced pass heavy offense, which is you know kind of what we're looking for in fantasy. So hopefully that continues uh, now that they're you know expected to get Burrow back for the start of the season. Run pass split, they should probably keep leaning uh, a little bit toward the pass heavy. What do you got in that category? Yeah, so they were 16.5% pass last year for the season. They were 62.9% pass in those healthy Burrow games. So I, I kind of split the difference there and went with uh, 61% pass for this season. 
I went 63-37 because, like, like you said, that's where they were in the full Joe Burrow games last year. It's a thin backfield behind Joe Mixon, strong core, young wideout. So, I mean, you know, it, you'd be splitting hairs between those two numbers. I think that they'll lean past both because I still don't think the Bengals will be very good, and I think they're built more to pass. Yeah, I mean, J- Joe Mixon did miss the final three of those healthy Burrow games. So I think that elevated – the pass rate a bit. I mean, you know, they had very little in the backfield once Mixon went down. So assuming Mixon's healthy, I think that's why I kind of leaned a bit more towards the run versus what we saw when Burrow was healthy last season. Quarterback notes, if Joe Burrow were coming off a full rookie season, I would probably be in on the upside. That said, he'd probably be going even earlier than he is. So before we get to his current ADP, I looked back and found 13 instances of a quarterback coming off an ACL tear since 2005. That's not counting Burrow last season because we don't have his follow-up season yet to measure. Only two of those 13 increased their fantasy points per game the next year. The median effect for that group was a loss of two fantasy points per game. And that's even without assigning values for the two cases where the quarterback did not play the next year. That was Sam Bradford in 2014, Teddy Bridgewater in 2017. Joe Burrow ranked 16th in fantasy points per game last year. If you take away the game that he left early, he climbs to QB 14, so a little bit better. Take two points off of that average. He's QB 20 in points per game. That was Jared Goff last season. Yeah, so Bur- Burrow's ADP has been dropping in some places. You know, our, our recent FFPC ADP has him at quarterback 13. That, I think that's about where he should be going. You can argue him down another spot or two from there. He's still quarterback nine on underdog. I'm you know totally out at that price tag. But yeah, like you said, I mean, he was uh, quarterback 13 in, in his nine full games. If you admit, if you omit Marcus Mariota's one game um, and that, that was despite a 3.2% passing touchdown rate, which is, you know, well below the league average. He now replaces a dusty AJ green with Jamar chase. So that should be a big upgrade. Um, so I, he definitely has, you know, top 12 potential, but the knee, is obviously a major risk still. You know, maybe by the end of August we're feeling better about it. We'll see. And the offensive line still isn't good. I mean, it might be better this season after adding uh, Riley Reef at one of the tackle spots, but you know, it still looks like a, a bottom ten offensive line. So you know, that plus a quarterback coming off a serious knee injury definitely adds a, a whole bunch of risk. Yeah, I think with the knee concern, I don't think that Joe Burrow has a higher ceiling than Carson Wentz this year. So if I can wait that much longer and take Carson Wentz as my second quarterback, uh, Joe Burrow is an absolutely zero share guy for me. Yeah, I mean, Burrow versus Wentz, that's just, you know, again, we're talking about what we expect to be one of the pass heaviest offenses, which, you know, one versus one that could be one of the run heaviest. That's the only difference for for me between those two guys. Yeah. Uh, running back notes, it should be Joe Mixon season. He has been pretty good, despite what that guy in your league who drafted him last year said. Mm-hmm. Running back 10 in PPR points per game last season. Running back 13 overall in 2019, when he did play 16 games, by the way, for people who say he's always hurt. Just running back 20 in points per game in that season. But the year before that, running back 10 overall, running back 9 in points per game. So, I mean, people who say that Joe Mixon always lets you down are simply not stating facts. Yeah, recency bias for sure. I mean, he obviously crushed you last year, only played those six games. Um, even his fantasy production in those six games was, you know, really boosted by just one big one. You know, he only finished as a top 12 uh, fantasy back in one of his six games. But I, I don't care about that. I care about the volume he got in those games, 19.8 carries and 4.3 targets per game. You know, only only three running backs averaged more opportunities per game. Uh, Dalvin Cook, Christian McCaffrey, Derrick Henry, who are all, you know, going in the top five of fantasy drafts. And that was with Gio Bernard still in town who Bernard averaged 3.3 targets per game over those six games that Mixon was healthy last year. So, you know, I think Mixon can pick up an extra target or two per game, you know, that, that would put him, you know, fighting, I think for the lead league and the, the league lead and, you know, total opportunities among running backs, um, kind of the same deal with Burrow. The offensive line is still a concern, but I think Mixon's good. I think he's going to get a lot of volume. And I think this offense should be better than it was last year, just, you know, with the upgrade at wide receiver, hopefully Burrow takes a step in year two. So I'm, I'm in on Mixon, you know, especially as long as he's, you know, a second round pick in a lot of these uh, fantasy drafts. Yeah. The area where Mixon has not been awesome in the past few seasons is weekly upside, but a lot, his biggest issue in 2019 was Gio Bernard getting a frustrating number of touches. So now Gio Bernard's gone behind Mixon is Samaj Piran, Travion Williams, rookie, Chris Evans, 
that to me looks like one of the least threatening depth charts in the league. And it was just last September that the Bengals gave Mixon a four-year, $48 million extension. That's tied with Aaron Jones for sixth and annual average at the position. And Aaron Jones got his contract just this offseason. So um, usually the contracts get bigger going forward. Mixon is just 500000 behind Derrick Henry in annual average, 600000 behind Dalvin Cook in annual average. So to me, that frames where the Bengals consider him to be in terms of how much work they plan to give him and, and the value to the offense. Yeah. And I mean, the coaching staff has come out and said this offseason they want him to, you know, not, not leave the field as much as he has the past few years with Gio Bernard. Like you said, the, the options behind him are weak. And I mean, Mixon's a good pass catcher. He was a good passer, pass catcher coming out of Oklahoma and he's been good in the NFL so far. So really no reason for him not to be a, a big part of that passing game. Pass catcher notes, there's plenty to get excited about among the top three receivers in Cincinnati. The problem is that fantasy drafters, probably for me at least, fantasy drafters are excited. Jamar Chase, currently wide receiver 22 in underdog ADP, is going late in the fourth round. Uh, T. Higgins, wide receiver 24 at the 4-5 turn. Then Tyler Boyd's down at wide receiver 37 in the first half of round seven. What do you think about these guys? Yeah, Chase to me is the one that I really haven't come close to drafting yet. You know, I I think I even lean Higgins over Chase straight up. I mean, it's basically a coin toss for me, but you know, Higgins almost always goes like a round or sometimes two rounds later. You know, I mean, I think I think Chase is an awesome prospect. He's probably going to be hit a hit in the NFL. He's probably going to have a nice rookie season, but you know, just how high he's going when he has that target competition. You know, with T. Higgins, with Tyler Boyd. Joe Mixon is going to play a big role in the passing game, as we've said. Um, and then, you know, Chase didn't play football last year. You know, we we don't know exactly what that's going to mean. You know, we haven't had a season like this where there's so many of these college kids coming in that didn't play football last year. But, I mean, it definitely adds risk to his profile. There was a good note from uh, uh, Pat Corain of NBC Sports that, you know, as you said, Jamar Chase is going, you know, within the top 25 running backs in ADP. The highest rookie wide receiver ADP over the previous four years was CD Lamb at wide receiver 40. So, like, you know, where Chase is going is just, you know, we've, we've never seen a rookie wide receiver, you know, going this early in fantasy drafts. Yeah, that's the thing is you can say I'm not going to discount Jamar Chase for missing a year of football because I don't know that it's a negative for him. But if you have to make that high a bet on that guy, then that, I mean, that significantly degreases the value. I mean, the, the, he doesn't have, he can't be this year's Justin Jefferson because he's going too early in drafts to be Justin Jefferson where he's going. He wouldn't even be Stefan Diggs If he hits his absolute ceiling, if Jamar chase gets 150 targets and just like puts up a magical rookie season, he still wouldn't have the impact that Stefan Diggs had as a fifth round pick last year. So even if you believe ultimately in Jamar Chase, you think he's the best wide receiver prospect in at least, I don't know, seven years. He just doesn't make sense at the level where he's going, especially when you factor in that he's playing with a quarterback coming off an ACL tear in a bad offense that hasn't produced yardage or points wise. To me, the Jamar Chase's ADP is nonsense and his presence hurts T Higgins for me. I would be more interested in T Higgins than Jamar Chase. I'm okay with where Higgins is going. To me, though, Tyler Boyd's the only one that I'm actually really considering in most cases on draft days. Yeah, I mean, Tyler Boyd just underrated again like he's been, you know, the past two, three years now. I mean, he was PPR wide receiver 15 in 2018. He was 17th in 2019. His scoring average in his 14 healthy games last year would have made him 22nd among wide receivers in PPR points. Again, some of that came without Joe Burrow. If you look at just Boyd's, nine full games with Joe Burrow, he would have been PPR wide receiver 13. So, yeah, I mean, yeah he's going to lose some targets probably with Jamar Chase there, although he might not even because, remember, A.J. Green saw 104 targets last year. I mean, Chase could just pick up those, and then Higgins and Boyd could see the same volume they saw last season. So, I mean, the, there, there's more than enough discount baked in on, on Boyd's ADP for him to, you know, to pay off pretty easily, I think. Yeah, as I mentioned, wide receiver 37 on an underdog right now. He finished wide receiver 30 last year, 17 and 15 the two years before. So I, it seems like you're drafting Tyler Boyd at his floor. I get that he's not the most exciting player, but, you know, unexciting players score fantasy points too. So a lot of times there's value in being that unexciting wide receiver. Speaking of unexciting, let's close out the pass catchers with CJ Uzama. He's a name to know, I think, in tight end three range at the end of a draft, especially FFPC, but... 
I, I don't think there's really much ceiling to him. Nobody sees the tight end job in his absence last year after he suffered his injury in week two. But it, and it looks like the Bengals could have cut him and saved about $5 million in cap space this offseason. They didn't. Looks like the favorite right now to lead the position, but it's probably also open to some competition in camp this year. Yeah, I do think Ozoma's the favorite. I mean, Drew Sample was, was bad last year by basically any metric. He was 42nd among 43 qualifying tight ends in yards per route run. So I, I do think Ozoma has the chance to you know get that lead job back. He, he's you know far from exciting as a fantasy prospect. Um, you know, it really wasn't exciting to begin with. Now he's coming off a tour in Achilles, which is you know a tough injury to return from. And then you know the Bengals tight ends last year combined for only 71 targets and even that mark might come down this season again you know with Jamar Chase replacing AJ Green so um you know, he's only a guy I'll consider as you know my my tight end three in these deeper best ball drafts who I like Tyler Boyd uh, most among the wide receivers Joe Mixon behind that I think they're both going in fair ranges not every draft kind of guys but certainly guys that I'm getting plenty of shares of I probably need to scale back my mix and exposure a bit. My problem is I keep getting picked like 9, 10, 11 in these drafts, and then he's just sitting there for me in the second round, and I, I can't pass on him. So um, I like Joe Mixon a lot. You know, he's running back 13 on FFPC, running back 12 on underdog. It's, you know, two or three spots below where I have him ranked. Love Tyler Boyd at cost. I like T. Higgins at cost, you know, wide receiver 25. That's about where we have him ranked. Um, still think he can beat that, though. You know, he, he had a, a very impressive rookie season. He was a prospect we'd like coming out, so – um, Boyd and Higgins are the two Bengals wide receivers I'm taking and not Jamar Chase. For me, Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams getting into round two have made it a lot easier to not overload on Joe Mixon, who I don't. It's definitely Jamar Chase first. I'm not sure I have any shares. Maybe I took one at some point just to make sure I got some exposure there, but I'm not even sure I've done that. And then behind that is Joe Burrow. Both of those guys are active avoids for me. If Joe Burrow is the top quarterback left, then I'm waiting on somebody else. <laughs> Yeah, again, I have not come close to drafting Jamar Chase. He'd have to at least get into like the mid-fifth round for me to consider him. He pretty consistently goes in, in round four. Um, and then Burrow, again, depends on where you're drafting. You know, underdog, he's quarterback nine. I'm not going anywhere near him at that price. Quarterback 13 on FFPC, I think that's you know fair if I need a quarterback in that range. I, I still prefer um, Tom Brady and, and Matt Stafford pretty easily over Joe Burrow. Definitely for me as well. Cleveland Browns, nothing significant here either on the coaching change front. Year two with Kevin Stefanski in the head job and Alex Van Pelt as the OC. Last year's Browns climbed from 22nd in both points and yards to 14th and 16th in those categories respectively. Increased their yards per play by 0.2 up from 14th to a tie for 11th. Up from 20th in offensive DVOA in 2019 to 9th in that category last year. And the Browns were efficient both running and passing, 7th in rush DVOA, 10th in passing DVOA last season. Yeah, pretty solid season you know, for, for the, that new coaching staff. Um, the other note I have here, too, is the, the Browns had those two games that were, you know, really impacted by high wins where that, you know, neither team was, like, passing the ball. Um, there was also that Week 16 game where all four of their top wide receivers at the time were out with COVID. So, you know, they, they were kind of three – games last season that were impacted by by funky stuff going on um i think that probably boosted their run rate i mean it definitely boosted their run rate if you're just looking at the weather impacted games and they started throwing it quite a bit more over the second half or not just down the stretch last season um they were about 46 percent pass in situation or in, in neutral situations through week 12 that vaulted to 61%, uh, you know, from week 13 into that, uh, into their two playoff games. So um, that's my biggest question here with the Browns is, you know, just how much more they'll, they'll lean on the past than, than, than what we saw last year. Yeah. The games you mentioned makes it tough to truly gauge what they were trying to do last year. It was the league's fourth most run heavy offense overall. That kind of follows in line with what Kevin Stefanski's offense in Minnesota did. Of course, we didn't see a lot of him as the coordinator there either, but it looks like a team that's built to run plenty. 48.4% um, run last year. There was a wide swing from wins to losses. 53.6% run in their victories, 36.6% run in their losses. They did go 11-5 and last year. I projected them at a 55-45 split this year. Then I checked Sharp Football's um, strength of schedule projection for this season. And, and Warren Sharp has them as at, with the, the league's second easiest schedule going by projected wins. So I wonder if maybe 55-45 is even a little too pass heavy for what we've seen and, and should expect from these Browns. 
Yeah, I went 53.5% pass, re- really for that reason, just that I, I expect the Browns to be really good this season. You know, they they have the pieces in offense, a great offensive line. I think that the defense is getting better. So, yeah, I, I think this is a you know team that can contend with the Chiefs to win the AFC. Um, so, you know, just for that reason, kind of game flow, um, kind of boosting the run rate a bit. And, and of course, you know, they have you know, probably the most talented backfield tandem in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Quarterback Noah's Baker Mayfield rebounded in 2020 from a 2019 downturn, appeared to get better as the season went on. Now, you can look at that and where things turned and say that losing Odell Beckham made things run better, or perhaps things just ran better because they were getting more games behind them in a brand new offense under a new set of coaches, and the fact that Odell Beckham was not there was purely coincidence. Obviously, we have no idea which of those two things is true right now, we'll see going forward. I do think that for fantasy purposes, the run heaviness in Cleveland that we have seen and that we expect to continue to see limits the fantasy upside for Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think how, how high you are in Baker depends on you know, how, how much you expect Cleveland to throw it this season. You know, as you said, he was better over the second half of last season. I think that was because he was getting more comfortable and also because, again, they, they, they did increase their you know pass rate down the stretch there. Um, so I think how, how, to what extent that continues is going to impact, you know, exactly how good Baker is in fantasy this year. He's going late enough in drafts. You know, he's around like quarterback 20 and ADP. I think he's fine there because I think, you know, that that's kind of close to his floor as long as he stays healthy this year. Yeah. QB 21 on underdog specifically. And nothing wrong with that price, certainly. Still just ahead of Carson Wentz. I think that the floor is lower for Carson Wentz, but I think the ceiling is probably also higher than it is for Baker Mayfield because I think there's a better chance that Wentz gets the volume. Plus his his stacking options are cheaper for when you're looking in that range of a draft. Yep, I'm with you there. Running back notes, Nick Chubb's a stud. He is a stud. Um, and his offensive line is studly too, as I mentioned. Um, all five O-line stars returned for Cleveland. They ranked first in PFF run blocking grades last year, they were sixth in adjusted line yards. So, you know, stubbly running back behind a great offensive line. I mean, the only concerns for Chubb is volume. I mean, not so much on the ground, a little bit, because you have Cream Hunt there, but, you know, it's the targets that we're worried about. Um, he, he did see an uptick in target volume um, down the stretch last season. Again, you know, from week 13 on when the Browns, you know, kind of elevated that pass rate, he saw 2.9 targets per game the rest of the way after seeing just one target per game before that. If he can, you know, even see two, two and a half targets per game, that, that would help quite a bit. Yeah, he benefits from the run-leaning scheme. He's a very good player. He's behind a good offensive line, but his workload is more fragile than Derrick Henry's. 52.6% of Brown's carries in his 13 healthy games last year, including the playoffs. That would have ranked seventh for the season at the position, so that's solid for a, a carry share, but it's also 20 percentage points behind Derrick Henry's league lead from last year. And I think that it's worth comparing those two guys because they're similar in what they're getting within their offenses. They're going to be high volume rushers and low volume receivers, 1.9 targets per game overall for Chubb in those 13 games last year. We'll see if the late season trend continues or if it was just, you know, this small sample size thing and they don't want Nick Chubb to get that many targets overall it certainly adds fragility to his week-to-week upside and you know his ultimate consistency scoring for your fantasy team yeah definitely and of course you know scoring system matters for Chubb you know he's our RB 11 in PPR he's ninth in half PPR and he's eighth in our non-PPR ranking so you know somewhere like underdog half PPR scoring I don't mind Nick Chubb when he gets into round two yeah, I agree with that. Kareem Hunt um, might be overrated at this point. His receiving role did not grow with Chubb out, which is a little surprising. 10.2% uh, regular season target share. Last season was 11th among running backs, just 18th at the position in total targets. Saw a third of Brown's carries in the 13 games that Nick Chubb was on the field with him. 54.7% in five games that Chubb missed or left early. So a little bit more than what Chubb got in his healthy games, but even then not quite to, to real workhorse level. I think yeah. the run heaviness, you know, obviously helps the available carries. It also hurts though. I think Kareem Hunt's standalone value because it cuts into the target volume for him. And if he's going to be a standalone value, he's going to need more target volume than he got last year. Yeah. I mean, I, I still think he's like a top 10 back if Chubb goes down. Um, but you know, so in, in, in Chubb's 14, 
healthy games last season, Hunt averaged 10 and a half carries and 2.8 targets per game. You know, that's, that's not really enough for him to be someone you're, you're you know, happy about throwing into your, your lineup setting leagues. Um, so he's, you know, just as close to being a handcuff to me as like a standalone fantasy option. He, he does go a bit too high for me in, in drafts right now. Yeah. I mean, I, maybe Latavius Murray is the easy comparison here, but I don't, I don't see a whole lot of difference between the two of them in terms of their role when the starters in there. I mean, I guess that Nick Chubb doesn't get quite as much of the offense. Um, I'm sorry. I was about to conflate two different teams. So I, <laughs> Actually, there's probably more carries available to Latavius Murray in his offense because Alvin Kamara is a lower carry guy for that team, higher reception. But, you know, overall, what I'm saying is round six ADP for Kareem Hunt, you're going to need him to contribute more than he is going to most weeks unless you luck into touchdowns. That's just not something to count on with somebody who is either a later RB2 for you or an early RB3. Yeah, I think I think someone like Jamal Williams is going to get a similar workload as Kareem Hunt. You know, when when the guys ahead of them on the depth chart are healthy. Now, Hunt will probably still outscore Williams just because you know he's a better player and a better offense. But you know, the you know five six round gap between them, I, I think, is is too big. Pass catcher notes: We're all going to be watching reports on Odell Beckham's knee this summer. Before their injury, though, PPR scoring average. Uh, would have ranked only 25th at the position for the season and nearly 45% of his total fantasy points for the abbreviated season came in the Dallas game. So even before he went down, Beckham still wasn't quite doing it for us. What do you got on him? Yeah, I mean, he, he averaged seven targets in his six full games last year, 24.7% target share, was, which is a nice mark. That's actually the same exact target share he had in 2019. I mean, we're, it, it's similar to, to Baltimore in that, you know, we're talking about a big target share in, in a run-leaning offense. But, you know, if Beckham can get back to that mark this season and, you know, if he's you know, at least close to pre-injury form, I think, he, uh, you know, he could definitely pay off at his price tag. There's just kind of a lot of questions on him right now. I mean, you know, his torn ACL came in late October. So, you know, he, it's not, you know, he's not a guy who's going to be like a year removed from it when this season uh, kicks off. So um, some risk, we'll see what he looks like over the next month here. Yeah, I think the reports on him during camp are going to be especially important. Wide receiver 35 in PPR 2019 was also playing through injury that season. I believe I don't believe we found that out until the end of the year or even after. Um, but 4.2 catches, 58.9 yards per game so far in Cleveland for Beckham. That's down from 6.6 and 92.8 per game as a giant. You know, maybe he gets all the way back and this is his healthiest season as a Brown this year, but we're going to have to watch that. And we still don't know what the ultimate upside is, even if that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. I I think he's at least priced at a point where, you know, some of that risk is is baked in. You're not, you're not, you know, paying for the ceiling. Jarvis Landry remained a solid performer last year, but he fell from 12th in PPR points in 2019 to 36th, despite Odell Beckham missing all that time. That's what happens when you're a volume driven wide out in a low volume offense. I think at some point he has some value, but it's tough to see league winning upside to Jarvis Landry at any level. Yeah. You know, he definitely benefited from OBJ being out. Um, Landry averaged just 9.3 PPR points per game with, with uh, Odell Beckham 14.6 without him. His targets went from 5.5 per game with Odell Beckham to 7.8 without him. Now back in 2019 Landry out targeted Beckham 138 to 133. So, I mean, you know, the, the targets could still be close between them this season. And in Landry's defense, I mean, he had a serious hip surgery last February before the season. You know, I think, you know, he, he was limited at least throughout the spring. I can't remember what, what his status was in camp. Um, he also suffered a broken rib in week five last year. He missed week 16 on the COVID list. So t- tough season for Landry injury wise. Um, I agree. He, he doesn't bring a big season long or weekly ceiling. So, you know, probably got you a discount in best ball, but probably a guy you're more interested in uh, when you're drafting in a lineup setting league. That's a good point. I forgot about the hip surgery right before the season that had me doubting him heading into the season. Um, Rashard Higgins probably should be the favorite to lead the wide receiver three spot. Uh, We'll see about Donovan Peoples Jones's challenge in his second training camp. Really though, it's not a spot that's all that interesting, no matter who it is because of that um, low volume pass offense. Yeah, low volume pass offense, and you know the Browns um, will be up near the top of the league, I think, in two tight end sets. So, you know that's going to mean uh, fewer snaps for whoever that third wide receiver is. Speaking of tight ends, there is upside to Austin Hooper, but that's really just because he's going at the bottom of tight end two range now. 
Um, David Njoku is still around, at least for the moment. We'll see if he gets moved in uh, later summer. Harrison Bryant is still there. So even if David Njoku goes, there's still a challenger. And that, that whole volume thing again. So I think with Austin Hooper going that low, he's certainly a solid value. He could definitely way outperform that. Just not an exciting ceiling. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, Hooper missed two games last year after an appendectomy. He missed the third game with a neck neck injury. Um, but you know, even still, he was only twenty second among tight ends in PPR points per game. I, I I do I do expect him to you know remain pretty clearly ahead of Harrison Bryant and David Njoku. That you know, the Browns gave Hooper that four year, forty two million dollar deal just last off season. So I think you know that money will kind of keep him as the lead tight end. But um, yeah, I think the only reason to like him, as you said, is just that he's going so late in fantasy drafts. So he'll probably beat his ADP, even if, you know, he's not a, a big difference maker for fantasy teams. Who I like, there is absolutely nobody I'm actively chasing among the Browns. I'm probably most interested in Odell Beckham. Just like I said, I think if all things go in his direction, he's the one guy that really has the big upside to make a difference for your season. Yeah, OBJ, you know, uh, ADP, wide receiver 28. He's a guy I've, like, forced myself to even, you know, like, reach down our rankings a few spots just to make sure I get some shares of Odell Beckham. Um, Austin Hooper, again, Austin Hooper, tight end 25 on FFPC, and Jarvis Landry, wide receiver 47. I mean, they're, they're going to beat those price tags, even if they're not super exciting, you know, weekly options. I do think at some point they become values, even if just for the floor they're going to give you. Yeah, there's certainly guys I'm fine with, but I, I find myself chasing ceiling in those uh, areas. The who I don't side, I, I don't hate anyone on the other side of that, but I'm not taking any Kareem Hunt at this point. I'd re- Even if I'm looking running back there, I'd, I'd rather take Trey Sermon just behind Kareem Hunt in underdog ADP. Really, more often, though, in that range, I'm just opting for another position. Yeah, same here. I haven't taken Hunt a single time, I don't think, in drafts. Um, And then Nick Chubb, again, it depends where you're drafting. He's actually RB9 on both FFPC and Underdog right now. Obviously has more value on Underdog with it being the half PPR. So, you know, he's a guy I've taken in the second round on Underdog. Uh, If you're talking, you know, FFPC or something that's full PPR, you know, he'd, he'd need to get to the back half of round two before I consider him. And he really has that weekly upside to have a smash game in that format, too. Pittsburgh Steelers, the last team in this division. What's relevant on the coaching change front? Yeah, Mike Tomlin back as head coach for what feels like the 30th year, but a new offensive coordinator in Matt Canada. He was the Steelers quarterback coach last year. Has no NFL play calling experience. Does have, he has nine different stints as a college offensive coordinator. I think that's kind of a bad thing that, you know, he hasn't stuck around anywhere long enough. Um, But, you know, again, really nothing to go on as far as NFL play calling. You also have big Ben there who I think is, you know, as involved as a, you know, quote unquote quarterback slash play caller as any other quarterback in the league. So um, we'll, we'll see. And the talk has been about, you know, Canada liking, you know, motion in his offense and you know, trying to go up tempo, which we hear from basically every team at this time of year, but um, no NFL play calling experience to go on here with Matt Canada. Yeah. It's interesting that he followed the same path as Randy Feekner, who was the QB's coach before he took over his OC, but Canada was only in his, is just now in his second year with the team. Feekner spent eight years as the QB's coach and 11 total on the Steelers staff before taking over as coordinator. Um, you mentioned all the years as, a, as an OC in college. I think the biggest upside to Matt Canada is that if he doesn't work out, South Park has already written the Blame Canada song for the Steelers fans to sing. Nice. What do you think on run pass split this year? Yeah, so, I mean, Pittsburgh was one of the pass-heaviest teams in the NFL last year. They, they led the league in pass attempts. They were second in pass rate. They were fourth in situa- situation-neutral pass rate. Yeah, I'm sure some of that was by design. You know, again, Big Ben probably wanting to chuck the ball over, over the yard. Um, some of it was because they just had no running game. And now they spend the first-round pick on Najee Harris. Big Ben is a year older um, the offensive line, I, I think we'll get to is a major question mark. So I, I have them running quite a bit more this season. I took them, you know, they were 64% pass last year. I took them down to 58% pass this year. Uh, I have it at 58 and a half percent. They were at about 58, 42 in 2019. Mike Tomlin was clearly not happy with how the offense, um, fell out last year, pass versus run. I think that was the biggest reason for the change at OC. So, yeah, I think that that's the range we should expect them to be in. And I still think it's a pass 
built team with those receivers that they have, but we'll see about their aging quarterback who we're going to get to next. Yeah. Um, let's get to Roethlisberger. It was I, ugly for him, especially down the stretch last season. Just looking at the season long numbers, 6.3 yards per attempt. That was easily the lowest of his career. Other than his two game 2019 season, he actually averaged just 5.7 yards per attempt in that abbreviated season. Um, 7.4 yard average depth of throw for Roethlisberger. That was 28th among 32 qualifying quarterbacks. He ranked 22nd among those 32 quarterbacks in PFF passing grade. And he got worse as the season progressed. You know, he completed 67% of his passes over the first nine games that fell to 64% over the final six. He went from 6.8 yards per attempt down to 5.6 yards per attempt. Um, he's 39 years old now. And the offensive line to me is a major question. They lost four starters from last season, you know, on paper, it looks like one of the worst O-lines in the league. So, you know, battle line behind an aging quarterback, I think there's a lot of risk there for this passing game. PFF graded last year as Roethlisberger's worst season other than his rookie year. It was the lowest A dot of his career. He still checked in 14th in total fantasy points, but 16th in points per game, 38th in fantasy points per pass attempt. So volume was huge for him. I mean, he belongs low in QB2 range where he's going. And there's certainly a chance that he declines further from what he was last season in his age 39 season. You could say now he's a year further beyond that elbow surgery. Okay, sure. His elbow is also another year older. I mean, we watched Peyton Manning just uh, out of nowhere, just implode. Maybe we already watched the beginning of Ben Roethlisberger turn into what Peyton Manning was that final season. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I mean, this is a case where fantasy owners have gotten smarter, where, you know, Big Ben is going so late, despite the fact that he was a pretty solid fantasy option last year. Um, I I still haven't taken him a single time. He's just a guy I kind of cross out, even if he's, you know, top by rankings. Yeah, I saw him going there early, and I was like, oh, Ben Roethlisberger, he can still put up fantasy points, and I have just it just has not (laughs) turned into me drafting him. So let's move on to running back notes. Najee Harris, who you mentioned, looks set to be their new Le'Veon Bell. Now, He's probably not as good as Le'Veon Bell. The touch ceiling, though, could reach nearly that high. And I'm not talking about peak Le'Veon Bell, where he was running 21 and a half times per game and catching 85 plus passes a year. I'm talking about beginning of career Le'Veon Bell. He was just under 19 carries a game for those Steelers in each of his first three years. He averaged three and a half receptions per game as a rookie. That's about 60 over a 17 game season. I could see Najee Harris getting to those numbers right away. Yeah, so could I. Um, and maybe Harris isn't as good as Bell. But, I mean, Le'Veon Bell was a second-round pick. The Steelers used the 24th overall pick on Najee Harris, you know, and, and a few years later than Bell, you know, where the NFL has seemingly, you know, devalued running backs even more over the past couple of seasons. So big investment in Najee Harris. No viable competition in the backfield. It's Benny Snell. Kalen Balaj and Anthony McFarlane. It's like the grossest, you know, depth chart in the league behind Najee Harris. Mike Tomlin has a history of, you know, favoring a, a true lead back, even you know, when it hasn't been Le'Veon Bell. James Conner got big workloads. DeAndre Williams got big workloads. So, you know, our, our projections have um, Najee Harris fifth in total opportunities, you know, carries plus targets. So even with the concerns with Roethlisberger and the offensive line, I think volume alone makes, you know, Harris a pretty good bat to be like at least a top 15 fantasy running back this season. Yes, Harris is a good, not great prospect. Decent speed for his size. Better receiving skills than you normally see from a guy this big. You know, you can read his full Dynasty Prospect Scouting Report on DraftSharks.com for more details on him. You can check his player profile. I think round two is fair given his situation. As you mentioned, the depth chart behind him, the volume should be there. It's basically the same situation that Clyde edwards Delaire was heading into in Kansas City last year in terms of the immediately available volume. Not nearly as good an offense as the Kansas City one, but also I don't think that we're going to see the Steelers try to add somebody the way that Kansas City did Bell last year. Yeah, I think Harris belongs in the back half of round two, which is basically where he's going. And it, it sounds funny to say about our – a rookie running back, but I do think he's you know one of the safer picks in that territory just because, again, I, I just think that volume is, is so safe to be there. And, of course, you always have to put air quotes around it because if he gets injured in week three, people are like, oh, you said this guy was safe. Uh, any of them could get injured. 
Yes, correct. I do think that, you know, we're talking about volume before we move on. I think the O-line is an issue, but it's also an issue that can be overblown because if you're carrying, you know, look at the Le'Veon Bell season from his rookie year. He had a foot injury to begin that year. He then averaged less than four yards per carry. He was still getting the huge volume, still delivered for us. So Najee Harris could average 3.8 yards per carry, average six and a half yards per catch, and still be a top 12 back for us. Exactly. Pass catcher notes, this wide receiver core Still crowded. They re-signed Juju. Um, they've got Deontay Johnson. They've got Chase Claypool. What you got on the Steelers receivers? I mean, Deontay Johnson was the, the clear leader here you know, when he was healthy. You know, he, it was a bit of a funky season. He he missed one game with injury. He left two more games early with injury. And he was also benched for part of that Bills game when he, you know, he dropped a couple passes. In his other 13 games, including that playoff loss to the Browns, he averaged – 11.5 targets per game. He had 10 plus targets in all but two of those games. Um, 7.2 catches, 77 yards, half a touchdown per game uh, in those 13 games for Deontay Johnson. His PPR scoring average in those 13 games would have made him wide receiver six on the season. Um, I mean, I think the issues going into 2021 now, just how much less are the Steelers going to throw the ball? And I think, you know, we agree they're going to throw it less. That's going to hurt Deontay Johnson, obviously. And then I do think there's a chance that, you know, Chase Claypool, maybe even Juju cuts into Deontay Johnson's target share a bit this year. Yeah, the Steelers threw the ball 17 more times than any other team in the league last year, even though they tied for 11th in the league in total plays. Deontay Johnson still, as you said, operated as the lead receiver he had the, when he returned from injury in week seven, from that point on, including the playoffs, Johnson drew 24% of the targets the rest of the way. Juju Smith Schuster drew 21.3%. Chase Claypool drew 16.5%. That was after he had, you know, claimed his role in the offense. Pittsburgh also limited his exposure late in the season, apparently because Mike Tomlin wanted to avoid a rookie wall rather than wait until his rookie hit that wall and then sit him down. I don't know what the motivation is there, but there's room for certainly Chase Claypool's role to grow this year. There's also the chance that doesn't. There's the chance that Deontay Johnson stays the clear leader in target share. I guess overall for now, I'm treating Deontay Johnson like he's the leader and he's the first one I'm taking, but I'm not ready to plant my flag with any of these guys and say, this is going to be the guy for the Steelers this season. Yeah, I'm with you there. I mean, I think you have to make Johnson the favor just based on what we saw last season. And he, he, he more so than Claypool for sure. And we'll talk about Claypool here, but you know, Johnson kind of fits what big Ben is at this point of his career in a more of the short range passer. Um, so I think, you know, that, you know, makes him the favorite for targets more than anything else. Yeah, Deontay Johnson's and Juju Smith-Schuster's dots have been similar so far, really m- more so Juju's previous dots versus last two years for Deontay Johnson. Last year was especially short for Juju, and I would expect it to get a little longer. Claypool had 39.1 half PPR points in that huge game against Philly. That accounted for 21% of his fantasy points for the year. You know, I, I don't, I'm not sure whether to back off of Chase Claypool this year or to say the flashes are what we should grab onto and expect a big leap in year two with the possibility that he's their number one receiver this season. Yeah, that's, it's definitely a possibility. I mean, it was a super impressive rookie season, even like beyond the fantasy numbers. He um, Claypool actually beat Deontay Johnson and Juju Smith, uh, Juju Smith Schuster in yards per route run. Uh, Claypool was 22nd among 87 qualifying wide receivers in, in yards per route run. He was second among 12 qualifying rookies in yards per route run behind only Justin Jefferson. Um, so, you know, really promising debut season. The, the problem again, though, is I, you know, he he's more the downfield guy, you know, uh, 13.8 yard average depth of target for Claypool versus 8.5 for Deontay Johnson, six for Juju. Um, I just, Usually we want the downfield guys in fantasy, but I don't know if Ben can get the ball downfield to chase Claypool. So that's kind of my concern with him is just, you know, if he fits in this offense now. He also has some touchdown regression coming too. Uh, Claypool scored nine times on his 62 catches, and he also scored two rushing touchdowns on 10 carries. So he's probably going to score a few fewer times this year. Yes, all those factors, including the aged quarterback, has me not – in love with any of them. I'm certainly making sure to get some shares of Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool, especially if they get into round six, sometimes even round seven. Juju, I actually just forced myself to draft him once earlier today. I don't think that I've been on him enough 
But I also think that he has easily the lowest ceiling of the three, and I'm not worried about missing anything big if I don't have much of him. Yeah, the guy, the guy caught 97 balls last year. I was actually surprised when I was you know, researching this and uh, kind of remembered that he caught 97 balls. They only went for 831 yards because he had that crazy low A dot. You know, he, he was basically taking extended handoffs. He did finish wide receiver 16 in PPR points. So, I mean, you know, Juju, like these other guys, I think is going to be hurt by the Steelers' total passing volume coming down this season. Yeah, he was like the Rondell Moore last year, Debo Samuel. Exactly. James Washington is still there. I think he's worth holding in Dynasty. He's an unrestricted free agent in the spring, but really an afterthought at this point because they brought back Juju. Yeah, he's a wide receiver handcuff. Like He'll be a factor if any of those three guys gets hurt, um, but not if those three are healthy. And even when guys have gotten hurt, he hasn't been like, I don't know. He hasn't been special. He shows up. Yep. He's there. Eric Ebron is interesting. It cost among tight ends. Just tight end 15 in PPR last year, though. Eighth in targets. 15th in points per game, despite playing in the league's leading offense for passing volume. Kind of like Austin Hooper, he's not exciting, but he could easily become a huge value versus ADP because he's going outside the top 24 at this point. Yeah, he's he's cheap enough where I've taken him a few times. Um, but, you know, the volume probably is coming way down because, you know, one, like we've talked about, the total passing volume in Pittsburgh is probably coming down. And then they did add Pat Fryermuth in the second round, of this year's draft. I don't think Fry Moose going to, you know, pass Ebron on the depth chart this season, but he could definitely steal some targets. We're going to have to watch Fryer Muth this summer too, because he had the shoulder surgery in the spring. So maybe that actually, I think the shoulder surgery was back in the fall. Um, but you know, that could limit him this year and we'll, we'll see maybe how much they're ready to let him play. But that, that could be a factor in whether Eric Ebron is truly a value or just somebody that you toss at the bottom of some best ball rosters. Yep. For sure. Who do you like among Steelers? Um, I don't love anyone. Again, I mean, I think Najee Harris is properly priced. And if I ever get an early first round pick in, in you know, one of these drafts, I'll, I'll consider taking Najee Harris in the back half of round two. And then again, I, the, the wide receivers are all like just fine for me. Deontay Johnson going in the mid twenties. Claypool is wide receiver 29. Juju is probably the, the biggest value among the wide receivers. I mean, he's wide receiver 39 on underdog. I, I think he's a pretty good bat to beat that price tag. But I mean, he's almost like Jarvis Landry at this point with, you know, how, Pittsburgh, at least how they used him last year. So he's kind of unexciting, especially in best ball leagues. I mean, he's basically the same thing as Tyler Boyd. And I would bet on Joe Burrow more than Ben Roethlisberger. And I would bet on Tyler Boyd versus the two receivers in Cincinnati over Juju versus the two receivers in Pittsburgh. So for me, Juju, if when you take him, like, fine, go for it. He's not been a a target for me. And I I, I don't think the ultimate ceiling is there. But the the wideouts are what I'm trying to mix into some lineups. And I agree with Najee Harris. I'm going to make myself take some later round two shares I already have just in case he really does get the volume that we're projecting and is able to produce on that volume. Yeah, again, like, this is the passing game I want to be off of, but like, the, the rest of the fantasy drafters are like smart enough where all their ADPs are, you know, lower than, than where they finished last year. So, it, you know, they're, they're fine where they're going. I'm not excited about them, but, but they're fine. And it's a lot more comfy to pick one of those wideouts than it is Ben Roethlisberger. He's the guy that I don't like. If I've drafted Roethlisberger at all, I probably have, but it's not much, maybe a, a couple of shares. I don't think that Ben Roethlisberger at this point has more upside than Derek Carr. And he probably does have more downside. Exactly. That's my thing. Um, I, I think the upside is limited with the volume coming down, nothing on the ground. And then there is that, there, there's that chance that he's just kind of, you know, hit, hit, hit the end of the road and he totally flops this year. Anybody else you don't like? Nope. That's going to do it for this AFC North edition of the podcast. Head over to draftsharks.com now. You can see our full projections and profiles for each of these players, as well as every other fantasy relevant player. You can also find Jared's reaction articles, a uh, reaction article to the Cam Akers Achilles tear plus his article on harnessing a late round league winning quarterback. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple, YouTube, Spotify, wherever you do your pod listening to get this full series, plus every other show we do. And of course, you can always find us on Twitter as well as on the free Draft Sharks Discord. For Jared Smola and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Shouse saying thanks so much for swimming with us.